0: Hello, my friends. Brett Patterson coming at you today from the financial capital of the West. Joined by the chairman. Hello. Brian Huntsaker. How you doing? Looking sharp as always, my friend. Yeah, you too. Great to be with you today to discuss something that we, we really can't believe we've never discussed in full in this podcast. As we were talking about what we wanted to discuss, we thought, hmm, have we ever talked about this important uh, philosophy we'll call it or process and we haven't
1: no, we haven't focused on it we've we've talked about a lot of the, uh, the the principles the principles in another
0: podcast but I don't think we've actually talked about this specific thing no we haven't and we're not talking inflation today my friends and we're not talking the rebound in the market and whether the market has bottomed or not because our answer will always be we don't know so we're going to talk about the process of how we invest and four criteria that make a great investment. And before we do, we'll talk about uh we'll just mention how most firms like ours invest for clients. Most firms, number 1, they invest overnight. You give them, you know, a million bucks and and the next day you got a million bucks in the market. And that's not how we how we uh, invest our clients' money, which we'll talk about. That's how most people do. And they it, most firms would put you in mutual funds or ETFs or a mix of some sort of model, invest you, and then they'd go off and they'd try to find the next client. I I think it's pretty safe to say that we focus more on making our clients' money and serving our current clients than looking for new ones. Right. <laughs> which is... Which is a lot of work, right? And, and we love it. But the philosophy that in how we invest, there's four principles. And w- one of those will be when we put the money to work. But the first principle I want to talk about, and I'll mention it, and then you describe it. Let me, let me, let me uh, interject here. Yeah,
1: Phil, three. The, and the reason, uh, when, when I started the firm 22 years ago, um, almost 23 years ago, actually
0: in this very office
1: yes yeah financial capital of the west yeah um i i wanted to start a, a company that uh if i were the customer um i would want the my advisor to to use this approach to do this approach so we we've we've often said that we eat our own cooking and so this is the approach that we believe in. This is the approach that I believe in. If I were not the advisor but the, the customer on the other side of the table, this is how I'd want my money managed. Yeah. And we do this exact – we do, we follow the same approach with our own
0: money. Okay, so you mentioned 23 years ago. Where did the approach come from?
1: So the, the approach came from backtrack or reverse about uh, – Seven years prior, seven or eight years so prior, to thirty that, years ago, pretty close to thirty years ago, okay. um, I was handed a from another advisor in my in the office. I was working at, as a broker at a brokerage firm, Piper Jaffray. Another advisor in the office handed me a Berkshire Hathaway annual report and said, "Have you read uh, Warren Buffett's letter to shareholders?" And I said, "No," and he says, "You ought to read it." And I did, and I was relatively. Can I
0: interject something? Yeah, prior to receiving. That letter to shareholders from Buffett. You were you were trying the Can Slim method, yeah. if memory serves me. That's right. exactly right. And many
1: methods before that. William O'Neill, uh, yeah. Can Slim, IBD, B- Investor Business Daily. Yeah. Yep, I was I was doing that. Um, I I had uh, so I was relatively new in the business. I started in 1989. I don't. I've been in the business two or three years, and I was looking for an approach that would consistently make money for my clients. And uh and up until that time I tried this. Like, well, that's all right. Let me I'm going to try this. You know, that's okay. Yeah. I started out the the firm I was working for um at that time when I first started it was a company called & Company out of Denver. And and actually that company has merged several times and now part of Wells Fargo Advisors, which love their mutual funds. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, yeah, like you said, most most advisors in our industry don't actually manage money; they actually farm that process out to other advi- or to other money yeah, managers. Exactly right. And so, we we just, I just like this approach. And when I read Buffett, I just, it just made so much sense to me, yeah. um, and uh, logical and rational, and something that um, people c- can do. It uh, just it takes a lot of time and effort. But I, that's what I like doing. I like that time. I like doing, you know, spending the time and effort identifying great businesses, invest great investment opportunities. That's what I enjoy doing, and so that's why that's why we do it this way. Is because it's something that we believe in, and, and yeah. it makes a lot of sense to us. Guess who else tried the canceling
0: method? You, me, yeah. <laughs> and you'd look for the little cup and, handle cup and handle of certain stocks, and as soon as it broke the. Cup lid resistance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You buy.
1: You know. Guess who else tried that?
0: <laughs> Buffett. Buffett did. Yeah, re- early on. I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: he was. He did technical analysis. He, he was looking he for was, his cup of he Java, was, huh? Yep. Until he met uh, Benjamin Graham at yeah. Columbia University, that was that changed his way of uh, investing. And then Charlie Munger later on had a big influence on him, uh, going from cigar butt investing where you buy crappy companies, but they're so cheap. They're, you know, pretty good investments. You get one puff and then you, you know, toss it. And, uh, and now Buffett is buying, you know, high quality businesses that have long runways of growth and compounding, you know, their earnings and profitability intrinsic value over a long period of time. That's, that's the approach that he uses now.
0: Yep. And that's what we do. Yep. So let's go through these four and, and talk about what this process entails, and the four principles, and the first one, Brian, is that we must understand the business and the industry. Explain what that means to me.
1: and just so we're clear, uh, you know i th- these are these are the principles that Buffett talked about in his letter to shareholders that i and at that point, at that time, when I read that first letter, I went and read everything I could on Buffett. I read every one of his letters to shareholders going back to 1977 yep. and uh, read everyone's every uh, every one of those letters since. But uh, it, I just thought that this process was so logical and so rational and uh, it just made a lot of sense. But so the first one is don't invest in anything you don't understand. You must, you know, you need to understand. If you don't understand it, then you, you walk away. And to me, that's just so logical. If you invest in something you don't understand, that's a yeah. sure way to lose money, in my opinion. And So, so that,
0: like, what would be an example of something that you don't understand that you've walked away from in the...
1: Are you thinking the same thing I'm thinking?
0: I, I'm thinking of a few things, so <laughs> I don't know where you're going.
1: But what's something you've walked away from because you don't understand? Well, it's Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin, that, yeah. that that's the one that just comes right to mind right now because it's so popular, at least in the, it's in the news every single day. I still can't understand how you value Bitcoin, and that's part of the process. How do you? Part of our process we'll get onto later is: Do you understand the? Have you valued the business? Is it selling below intrinsic value? And yeah. uh, I can't put a value on Bitcoin. I don't think anybody can. And uh, but then on the other hand, I don't understand why people are, you know, think think that
0: Bitcoin is is. Uh, has value to it uh you know what the hardest one for me to understand probably the the hardest industry for me to understand is biotechnology yeah i mean people will, will and not so much anymore but a, a while ago when i was this, especially when i was in the education world they'd come up and they'd say well it's looking for fda approval on this drug and if it gets it it's going to go big up big and i'm saying well what's the drug i what does it do I don't get it. So, I'm going to stay away from
1: exactly. it. Exactly. Uh one of the things that it's important this part of this process of understanding everybody has uh certain areas where they have expertise or maybe more knowledge than someone else, you yeah. know, the next guy uh down the road. And uh, it's important to under it's important to understand where you have uh, maybe a higher level of competence, higher level of understanding yeah. and then we call it the circle of competence if and if you under if you understand where your circle of competence is, you know the areas that you understand, businesses, industries, and then stay and then it's important to stay inside of that circle when you get outside of your circle of competence that 's where you get in trouble
0: so here's and here 's the thing too with what we 're talking about. if you invest in something you don't understand your risk on that investment goes up dramatically. Dramatically. And so all four of the things that we're going to talk about, including understanding what the heck you're investing in, is a risk reduction. Um, I mean, I, I guess that's the underlying right. all, part all, of the
1: method is it reduces risk. All of these these four principles taken together, each one of them reduces the probability of Permanent loss of capital, it's losing Great money. way to say it. And that's, that's, in essence, what we're trying to do, is put the odds in our favor of success. You know what I'm really trying
0: to understand right now, Brian? What's that? The metaverse. Yeah. I mean, you go out, and I don't want to get on a tangent, but you go out into an alternate world, and you buy a pair of Nikes. And some Nordstrom clothes but to may- be on an avatar right. to, to go out into the world. <laughs> anyway, that's a, so you got to study and it's- you study and you study and you research. And that's why it's hard. And that's why it takes time. And that's why most advisors don't do it. Okay? We'll get there with the metaverse. <laughs> um, two, here's the second thing. That company needs to offer a long term competitive advantage,
1: what does that mean? And I always like to flip this and think about what if you invested in in a company or a business that didn't have a competitive advantage? you know would you think that's a good idea and i I don't think that's a good idea yeah. you want to ideally you want to invest in a business that has a when we say durable, we're talking about long lasting you know look into the future. Does this business, in your estimation, and hopefully you have an understanding of that business, does it have durable competitive advantages against everybody else? And uh, if it does, then that's something we're interested. in. You know, one of the things. In fact, I'm, I'm st- looking at Katie, but just behind Katie, we have kind of we have a, a, a uh, shelf and. Uh, Food. We have some food over there. It's kind, of, it's kind of some snacks. Some office treats. Office treats and snacks. And Katie, thank you for uh, keeping us well-fed here. <laughs> but there's Coca-Cola uh, there on the shelf, Diet Coke. And uh, I'd like to use that example as as a an example of a company that has competitive advantage. Why? Well, if you think about a company um, with no brand, it, it, what is their competitive advantage? Coke's competitive yeah, advantage. Yeah, what is it? It's their brand. It's the name. Yeah, anybody can put uh, pretty much the same ingredients inside a can and and say Brian's Coke, Brian's Diet Coke, and that's Brian's Diet Coke is not going to sell. Diet Coke, and you put that right next to it, and you can charge ten times as much as Brian's Diet Coke, and. That's the, the one that's more, that has the brand that people love and know and, and trust is going to outsell Brian's Diet Coke. Yeah. Time and time again. This is
0: probably the question because we understand a lot of industries and a lot of businesses. This is probably the question that we spend the most time on for a company to make our, our list. Do they have a competitive advantage? Like Amazon, clear competitive advantage. Apple, right? The
1: clerk of Coke. When I, when I bring an idea to Brett, that's the first question he asks me. If it, if it's not obvious, what's their competitive advantage? Yep. We have an investment committee, uh, and, uh, we throw ideas at each other and, and we tear each other's ideas down and uh, some ideas don't make it to, to our portfolio. And that's yeah. why. Um, but, uh, that is a very, very important question. You know, what, What is their competitive advantage? No, So brand name can be a competitive advantage. There's other types of advantages out there. I think Amazon, in the case of Amazon, it has brand recognition. I think that brand obviously has lots of value. But I think there's other things that Amazon has or has done that gives them competitive advantage. For one is their, uh, their network, their distribution system, their logistics that they invested in. I remember thinking years ago... Amazon um, at the time was using UPS and FedEx to deliver a lot of their products, and says why? And I, I kept hearing rumors that Amazon was going to build out their own network system and and distribution and logistics business. And I thought, why would they do spend all that money to do that? Well, now yeah. I get it. I didn't get it at first, but absolutely, that gives them huge competitive advantages. I I was I went. Uh, Backpacking last week, I needed a battery charger. I was up in up in the Uintas and uh, mountain range, uh, off the grid. I took my iPhone up there. We got rained on. I watched a little Netflix. Netflix <laughs> up there. Got a lot yeah, of rain. Ten. But uh, uh, needed. Sheep. But I realized the night before we were leaving that I that my battery charger wasn't working, and so at six o'clock uh, the night before, I've gone on Amazon, and it was. And I ordered one, and it was delivered to my home at 4 a.m. That's crazy. Before I left, you know, yeah. later that, hours before I left. It's amazing. So that that gives Amazon huge, huge competitive advantages. And I can't, and I don't see anybody ever catching them, at least not in, I can't see anybody on the horizon right now.
0: That competitive advantage, again, helps reduce risk by owning the company, but it also um it allows you, and we always say this, although we would never do it. We say, "What are the companies that we could close our eyes for five years and not be worried about?" I say ten years. Ten but... years, yeah. I'm am a fiber. Um, competitive advantage is huge in that regard. It's it's huge. Yeah. What
1: if the stock market closed for tomorrow for ten years? Look at your portfolio. But the
0: businesses continued
1: to operate. But yeah, the businesses, the stock market closed. So you just couldn't sell it. Became they became private businesses and there was no, there's no public market to sell your securities. Would you feel comfortable owning the businesses in your portfolio? For me, which I own the same businesses that all of our customers do, the question, the answer to that is absolutely. I I actually look for, I would love to be able to look into the future and see where, you know, over the next decade, you know, and some are going to do really, really well. And some will, there might be one or two in there. We we don't know. We don't think so. But there might be one or two that don't do as well as we'd expected. So, but I overall, absolutely, I feel comfortable that, and that's one of the questions we ask ourselves: Would we feel? Do we feel comfortable owning this business over the next ten years if yep. we couldn't sell it? If we don't answer yes to that question, then we shouldn't buy it in the first place. Yep,
0: that's number two, a long-term competitive advantage. And there's a
1: lot of. There's a lot of different it's not there's a lot of different uh, competitive advantages businesses can have. We talked about yeah. brand,
0: distribution network, low cost, um, but it's also um, in in an industry like I think a Boeing. Boeing's a good example. So there's only two companies that do that, right? And so a competitive advantage could be like that, although the company hasn't been well run it still has a competitive advantage. Oh yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Uh the third thing is they have to have excellent management in place. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, that's just who's running the business. And do you have people running the business that if you're the owner of a business and you are looking at your managers that are running the business that you own, it's logical that that you would want good People that you trust, yeah. that are smart, that are energetic, running your business. If they're dumb and lazy, and dishonest, you don't want those people. So those are the things we're looking for in managers that run our run the companies we own. Is smart, lots of energy, and they uh, they're honest. If 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 they're not honest and they have lots of energy, watch out. Right and. And the, the, the
0: hard part with number three is that people interject politics with investing a lot, right? Oh, yeah. And I, I with the help of you, have to slap myself in the face sometimes because I do it too. Check your I'm politics not, yep, at you the door. Yep, you got to check your politics at the door. What do I, what do I mean by that? Um, Reed Hastings, right? incredible CEO. I don't agree with everything he does politically. But he is an excellent CEO, as shown by the complete pivot that he's done in his business with bringing advertising to the door, right? He's he, Good management are good allocators of capital, but they pivot and change when they need to to keep the competitive advantages they have or they want in the future. And that's very
1: important. Very important. I, I love that you said... I love that you said one of their jobs is to allocate capital. You, you just mentioned yeah. that. That is probably the most important job that a CEO has is allocating the capital, the resources of the company, the business, into new investment opportunities in the future. That's what's going to drive the, the future value of yep. businesses, yep. allocating capital. That's what Warren Buffett does. That's what Reed Hastings is doing. They are allocating the resources, and, and hopefully they're, they're reinvesting those capital resources in good new investment projects. They're going to get a good return over time, and that's how we're going to see increased profits, increased uh, intrinsic value growth over time is the, the decisions that management makes on how to reinvest those capital resources in the future.
0: Yep, and very important. It's not that you agree with everything that that CEO is doing um, and their views of everything. It's how are they – are they good at running a business? Are they good at – That's they, the important
1: thing. That's absolutely – I love that you said that. That That is the number one question. Are they good capital allocators? Are they good? You may not agree with Reed Hastings' politics, but guess what? Okay, so look at Buffett. Buffett is a, a – a, a, uh, He's, he's left-leaning. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's uh, conservative fiscally, but uh, liberal socially. Yeah. His best friend and partner for the last uh, 60, 70 years is Charlie Munger, who is an ultra-conservative, ultra-conservative. They don't see eye-to-eye politically. No. But they're best friends. And they, and they, and they, yep. and they both understand business and how to allocate capital. It's okay. You can get. We can. We can agree to disagree, and you know, we don't have to see eye to eye on exactly. But what we do have to see eye to eye is on how they manage the the business. Are they allocating capital on the smart ways way for the
0: shareholders? Yep, hundred percent. And we, Reed Hastings is,
1: I in my opinion.
0: Yeah, mine too. Yeah, and I was a critic going in. <laughs> Check your politics at the door. Anyway. The fourth thing, which is arguably the hardest, right, if, if a, and I'll even backtrack. If a company meets those three things, then we keep track of them. And if we really like the business, we keep track of them. And we put them on, you know, on a spreadsheet, an internal spreadsheet, and then we keep track of this fourth thing. And this fourth thing really tells us when to buy. And that is that, that business, I'm not even going to call it a stock, I'm going to call it a business, that business has to be available at a good price below what the company is worth for us to buy it yeah now, what in the world does that mean yeah we we call the term that
1: we use is it selling below intrinsic value intrinsic value is the val- what is the current value of that business that is in other words the that is the intrinsic value the current value of the business
0: so it would be like it would be like valuing real estate yeah. Uh, this home's worth a million bucks. How do they, it's how, just a lot more complex in, than that in
1: real right? estate. Yes, it's a little bit more complex because it's businesses are valued on future cash flows. Your home is not really a cash flow generating. Right. It you know actually costs money, but it's on replacement value or alt alternative or comparables. This is what they use. That's what when you have when you sell your home, you're gonna are gonna they're gonna bring in a. Um, Uh, a guy that estimates that what they call those guys appraiser an appraiser an appraiser come in and he's going to look at comparables like your your home and Mm -hmm. and in that area and to, to come up with a fair value or intrinsic value of your home well in a bit and we do and there's some of that in also in the in the business world too i mean you're for example in the business world or valuing a business you're you may look at comparables you may look at for example Disney and Netflix and how much you know people are paying per subscriber for for Netflix and you might compare that to Disney and uh, to come up with an idea of you know what the business is worth um, but ultimately the, the way that you value businesses you you have to look forward and look at future cash flows and and value those cash flows based on Lots of things, but uh interest rates, which is the risk free yeah. rate of return not to get too deep in the weeds, but that's part of it and then you look at comparables other companies what are the you know what are they selling for and and uh, compare it to your current company but ultimately it, the value of a business is if you if you look forward and if you were to you want to, the val is the value of that business is its future cash flows discounted at um, a certain discount rate back to the present value. I mean, that's, that's technically how you value we a business. We could
0: probably do a two-hour class, probably eight-hour class, <laughs> 20 on, on how we would value a business. But that's a good summary. But,
1: but that's that's the appropriate yeah. rate, pr- appropriate way to value a business. Anybody that's going to value a business, you're you're going to yeah. want to know what do those future cash flows look like, say over the next ten years,
0: mm-hmm. and and each business is different as to how to value it and based okay, on the industry, right? And, and the we, business as a whole,
1: right? And and the growth of those. Those cash flows is part of the calculation of the value. Yeah. So if a, if you have a company that's growing cash flows at twenty percent a twenty percent a year versus a company growing cash flows at ten percent a year, well, that company at growing cash flows at twenty percent a year is going to sell at a higher multiple than one at ten percent a year. Yeah. That's just that's pretty logical. And so you have to take all those things into cons, into consideration. So
0: if and I'm going to go back to real estate because that seems to be what people understand if a home is selling for a million dollars right it's it's worth a million bucks applying our philosophy as to when we would buy that what would it need to be selling at
1: that's a great question so when we, yeah when we buy a business we want to buy at a with a margin of safety
0: so okay. which would be what yeah well it's, what does that mean?
1: Our margin of safety is a twenty percent discount to fair value or intrinsic value. Yeah. We want so if the business is worth say a hundred dollars a share, we come up we look at all you know do estimates on future cash flows and the likelihood of those cash flows and the growth of those cash flows and you know all those things and come up with a fair value or intrinsic value of a business say a hundred dollars a share. that means that when the stock is selling at eighty dollars or less, that is in our buy range. That's when we are buying actively buying that business. Um, when a business sells at ninety percent of intrinsic value, you know eh, we don't get really excited about it. We might We might buy a little bit of the company, but we're we get excited and and we'll take a full allocation or uh, of a business when the stock is selling at, at at least a 20% discount to
0: intrinsic value. So if that million-dollar home selling for $800,000, dollars we interested.
1: Yeah, then we're we, going to buy We're going to make an offer. Yeah. So,
0: so right now, and, and if people and some of our clients have seen it, we have this spreadsheet, and it just is color-coded, right? And it, the green means the companies that we love are selling for 20% below what they're worth. Probably a month ago, Uh, Of the 40 stocks that we love that meet the first three criteria, about a month ago, half of that list was in the green. Mm -hmm. And that's because the market sold off. The market has rallied since, and right now there's five in the green. So it's changing all the time, and that's what we love about the stock market, is the volatility of the stock market provides opportunities to buy businesses for 20% off is essentially how i look at it
1: that's yeah that's right that's that's the beauty of the you know the stock market is fear and emotion often lead to opportunities lead to opportunities yeah. and when you have when you're negotiating with a rational bit owner of say a piece of property and you're a rational owner or a rational buyer and it's a negotiated transaction, probably nobody's going to get a great deal. Yeah.
0: Not unless one side is completely desperate. And you know,
1: if I'm, but if I'm this guy, like, I got to have your piece of property, I don't care what you are, you know, what you say or what price you throw at me, I'm going to buy it. Then
0: that's not rational.
1: That's not rational. And no. you're going to benefit and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be the one that overpaid for that business. That's what happens that can happen in the stock market. Stocks can get above, sell above fair value, and stocks can sell significantly below fair value. That's what makes stock market, investing in the stock market, investing in companies in the, that trade on the stock market, so uh, so difficult and, and challenging because, that, because you get a price every single day, and that sometimes scares
0: people. Well, provides opportunities as we look provides at provides great opportunities. So let me wrap this up and go right back to where we started, which is how most firms do it, which is invest overnight so they can go and uh, you know, gather more assets. How do we do it? Well, we look at our list of companies that we love, and when they're on sale, we buy. And if they're not, we wait. And sometimes we wait a couple days, and sometimes we wait a month. I, we we don't know, but that's what makes that's why that again going back to what you said that's how I'd want my money invested. That's, that's why we when do it. When a business this way. is on sale, I want to own it. I don't want to buy at a premium. That's
1: why we do it this way. That's a and so and then so, which I hundred percent agree. Are we perfect in doing this? Oh no, no, we're not. No, but we think that if we add all of these four different processes to, to, the, to our approach which we do we think that we reduce and then the, this is the reason why we mentioned this earlier we reduce the probability of permanent loss of capital and uh, and that
0: ultimately that's what we want to we want to avoid that so if we're reducing the probability of, of the permanent loss of capital we're increasing the probability of, of making money exactly and we're not perfect and there's no guarantees but and that's it's, the process. And
1: it's hard. It is. Hard. Let me just say it it is really hard. Uh th- this approach is not the easiest and it, it it's it's challenging yeah. and we do the best we can and uh I I absolutely um believe in the process but we're not perfect and and sometimes we're not we do perfect. make there's yeah.
0: a lot of late night studying as indicated by the Case of monsters by that Diet Coke, you so. <laughs> <laughs> but we do our we work our our tails off for our clients as we would want if we hired somebody. Yeah. So that's our portfolio philosophy. That's how we invest. I hope that sheds light. If you've heard, I, no doubt you've heard if you've been listening to the podcast, those four principles scattered throughout our podcast. But that's that's how we invest. That that's our core philosophy. Amen, brother.
1: Sometime, uh, anything else we should maybe next time we talk about how you look at options. Yeah, we should. That's, that's your expertise, which is
0: tied back in to the same philosophy, especially number four. Which yeah. we should do that. We should do that next time. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's why you're the chairman because <laughs> the chairman is the man. Let's do it. Anyway, thanks for listening today. Until next time, bye bye.